Welcome to the Culture of Leadership. We have conversations that help you develop and become a more confident leader. Today's conversation will put your leadership journey into overdrive. In 2022, there were 75 key takeaways taken from our episodes. Mark and I have boiled them down to 10 of the best action steps to enhance your leadership credentials. They're timeless and each builds on the one before it. Consider each of them a step on the journey to building character, competence and connection, enabling you to become a more confident leader. Will you just listen or will you listen and put into action? This is the Cultural Leadership Podcast. I'm Brendan Rogers. Sit back and enjoy the conversation. Leaders lead themselves first. Like it stood out to me right off the top as being it's where it starts. And when you actually had a chat with Maddie, what was the thing that made you come up with that as one of the key takeaways? It was the undercurrent through the whole conversation with Matt. Yeah, really about self care, self help, looking after yourself. And hey, I think his words were something along the lines of you can't lead yourself or gives you the right to lead others. And that rings true a lot. There's some other words that ring true in relation to that, that we're not necessarily going to speak in detail around today, but what Gary Rodriguez said about relationships and the relationship you have with yourself is the relationship you bring to others. It's very similar. It's huge. And I look at that and Maddie, I asked Maddie a question around leaders and do you notice anything different about people of discipline leading their leadership style, their leadership capabilities in relation to their weight. Yeah, he made a good point. We weren't about body shaming anyone or anything like that, but it was telling what he said because that had been my experience. I mean, you can, you can easily say, tell if somebody's looking after themselves or not. And if they're not, then potentially they're lacking some discipline. Let's put health-related matters aside, but potentially they're lacking some discipline in some areas. And leadership is very much about discipline. You know, I've had a, a crazy scenario where I've heard of even a HR person who is fair to say a quite a large person, and she was leading a Living Healthy initiative program in the organisation. I found that astounding when we're talking about authenticity in leadership and backing that up. How do you think the program went? Mm. Not well. That's all. Yeah. Not well. Yeah. yeah. So that leading self first. It's not just about health. I go to Terrigal most mornings, do some exercise. That doesn't make me perfect. Far from it, actually. Speak to my wife, she'll tell you. But I've got some disciplines in place that work for me, and it is about finding something that works for you from a health perspective, getting some discipline around that, being consistent with it, whether that's some meditation, whether that's some exercise, whether it's just time by yourself each day to refresh, and Gary also calls it a sanctuary, then you're starting to take control of you as a person, let alone eating habits and those sorts of things. But just start, how do you look after yourself? How do you start to manage your own time? From a leadership perspective in a business, it could be that the leader is showing up late all the time to meetings, or they're running around like crazy busy, and they wonder why their team is also running around or their business seems so busy all the time. Well, again, the leader's setting the show. Not being able to lead yourself even to keep to time on things, it's not the end of the world, but it's just saying, okay, we've got some room for improvement here. They're the things that I look at about how do you lead yourself health-wise, 
but also your actions about just your environment, how you turn up, how you show up in the world, are you on time to meetings, that sort of stuff shows elements of respect and shows some organization. That's important. That's a foundation. An interesting one because I look at it also as the inputs create the outputs. Absolutely. Right? It's what you eat. It's what you consume in terms of information. It's the relationships you keep. It's the conversations you have. It's the thoughts that you generate (laughs) right down to how you think about your dreams and goals. Exactly. That's all the inputs, right? And then usually that says an awful lot about what your outputs are going to be looking like. Exactly. Yeah. So leading self first, controlling you, having control of you, not feeling like something externally is controlling you, the business is controlling you, other people in your life are controlling you. You're, You're owning yourself and you're doing things every day to try and be your best self. There's a great starting point. If you can do that, even on a, an average level, then you're setting a foundation for moving up this leadership ladder, up the stairway to leadership heaven, so to speak. So the next one we have over here is leaders lead with purpose. That came from Alex Lee, which we interviewed here in person. We did. And Alex is a fascinating guy because he was, I'll have to say he, he was so quiet. I actually had to bring his microphone up all the time because he was speaking so quietly, such a gentle human being. But you could tell that he was also very purpose-driven. So maybe if you can share a little bit more about why you chose that one as being your second key takeaway. Yeah, and I should mention, none of these are chosen based on the actual guest. It was really around what we said earlier, building these foundations. But Alex is all of those things you talk about. He's a very humble guy, softly spoken, and just gets on with things. His purpose is literally just helping people and particularly community-driven help. He does a lot of things in the community. He leads an organization that helps drug and alcohol-addicted people. So much of his life has just been dedicated to service, and that's what drives him. So he makes decisions about what he does on a weekend or what activity he's going to get involved in or what thing he's going to do in his spare time or even within his business about how he's helping people how he's serving people. And again, whether it's Simon Siddick or all of these great people out there, we've got to understand what drives us. And that comes down to your passion, your purpose. And for me, what drives me as an example is, yes, I'm also about helping people. My focus is because of my own experiences as a leader and not always getting the support that I felt I needed through my own journey of learning and discovering and all of those sorts of great things then I'm super passionate about providing that sort of support for others. And that's what drives me. The conversations you and I have about what's our next step? How do we create better content to do this? What are we not doing here that's, that we need to do to try and do things better? We've just had a conversation around some of those things. That is what drives me. And from a leadership perspective, if you've got that articulation around what your purpose is, then again, it's going to help excite you each day. You're going to get out of bed pretty enthused each day because you know what your purpose in life is, what gives you energy, what you enjoy doing, and you're going to make it happen. And if you don't have that, then maybe you've got articulation about your purpose, but maybe the role that you're doing, whatever it is, is not aligned. So maybe it's that change. Or maybe again, the role that you're doing is okay, but you haven't got articulation around your purpose. So you can't get that match or it's difficult to get that match. You've got to find what works for you, what gives you energy. If you do that, then you can start to make deliberate decisions in your life. I was just going to mention that word. In fact, this morning at a 
business function meeting, I brought up the fact that you recently brought up the word deliberate and how important it was and how others related it to as intention and purpose. They're all very similar, but deliberate has a bit of a more, it's, it's a little bit more action-based in the end, eh? isn't it? Absolutely. Deliberate is, you know what you're going to do, you know what you need to do, and you take deliberate steps, you take that action to make it happen. And it's clear, there's no, there's no guessing, you're not always certain, but there's no guessing on that. It's, hey, I know this is the situation, I know that I need to do this, and that's getting some clarity around what I'm going to do, and I'm going to deliver on that and be deliberate about it. Once again, it's like culture, we talk a lot about that. Trying to think of the saying or the phrase that I use a bit, actually, in some, even some of the workshops, but weak cultures rise from neglect, strong cultures rise from deliberate intent. It's that simple. Anything we do that works well is about being deliberate. Let's move on. Leaders ask for help. This one was one that when I read it, I had dismissed it initially because it seemed almost too obvious for me. But you hung on to that one and I'm glad you did. Share a little bit more about why you chose that one with Ethan Holland. It speaks to vulnerability, really. That's probably the the fancy word around asking for help. I see leaders not doing it a lot not asking for help. They've got this thing in their own mind that they're the business owner, they're the senior leader, they're the leader of their department, they should have all the answers. And that's not it. Actually, to be fair, that's probably one of the worst things you can do because it distances yourself from the team. The team's not even getting an opportunity to share their insight. And they'll all have wonderful insight into whatever the problem is you're trying to solve or whatever the scenario is. That's why I felt it was really critical and again, building on these steps, you know, if we think about the leading themselves first, getting some clarity around that and then having purpose, but then being in a position to have a bit of self-confidence and asking for help and not feeling like you should have all the answers. That to me is why it's so, it's so simple. Again, like a lot of these things, so simple and effective, but you again have to be deliberate about doing that. It's like, Mark, I know you're really good at video stuff and editing and whatever, hey, you know what, I, I need help with that because that's not my wheelhouse. It could be something as simple as that technically or it could be about, hey, you're so much better at having deliberate conversations around feedback than what I am. Can you help me get better at it? Absolutely. It isn't that complicated. The hardest part about asking in my view, and tell me if you agree or not, is getting into the habit of asking. It's the initial breaking that barrier in a way that essentially puts you at ease with with the habit of asking for help. It's a mindset. It's a mind. And again, I think for me, my experience says that the mindset that a lot of leaders and maybe society has driven over time is that, hey, you're in a, a leadership role, you're owning the business or whatever it is, you should have the answers. And again, I would argue that even if you have a lot of the answers, the best thing is to try and engage the team, not to do it in an inauthentic way, to just try and get them to come up with it, what you want them to come up with, but to generally have the right conversations and start to, and you may guide them that way because that may be the ideal best outcome as the team's coming through, but you're getting a level of commitment that way, as opposed to just, I know this is what we need to do and tell, tell, tell all the time. Sure, there are times for that. Yeah, it reminds me of a conversation we had had before about leading questions and how we've got to be careful about those types of, when asking for help, don't ask in a leading question methodology because it will become eventually obvious that you're being inauthentic. Exactly right. Mm. So true. Yep. Absolutely. Moving on, we've got 
leaders have genuine conversations. That one, to me, was an easy one to choose, simply because of the fact that if anyone pays attention to the podcast, they'll know that that's how you literally end every podcast, is it talking is. about that. Yep. So it didn't surprise me that you would use it, but I, I do want to know if you can unpack that even more than you already do. <laughs> I'm not sure that I can. Yeah. I might need to ask you for some help. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. When we, when we think about it, and again, this hierarchy, asking for help, that vulnerability piece opens the door. Like it levels, it levels us, right? It brings us all onto the same page. Hey, Mark, I need some advice. I really need some help around something. That is going to start to create the opportunity for the genuine conversation. The doors, the, everything's been lowered, released, whatever. We're talking human to human, I need some help. And that just allows for the conversation to flow and the right intent around the conversation. The intent of a conversation like that is, hey, I'm seeking some help. You understand that you know that you're really good in an area and let's you know, help me learn from you. So if I'm asking for help and we then both have the right intent about how that helps deliver, then that just creates the opportunity for genuine conversation. Even if you don't know each other that well, but you know that somebody's got a skill set, that's such a fast track way to build trust and build that relationship and that connection. Asking for help off the back of that, having that genuine conversation around whatever it is. And wow, the speed of trust, there's that term. And the book, the speed of trust works very, very quickly in regards to that. So genuine conversations, you just, you can't go past it. I mean, it's, it's fundamentally at the root of, everything. It reminds me of how, if we go back to the idea of how I actually approached my selections in the list, as I was attempting to see if you could ask the question in its opposite form. And that was one where <laughs> just try being not genuine and see how it goes for you, right? It just doesn't work. So absolutely. Although, again, remember, you raised the point, again, this is how your weird mind works from time to time, talked about MIB or CIA and all this sort of stuff. And I guess the, the criminal side of things, are there times where maybe you're not having a genuine conversation, but that conversation or that setup that you might need to do is in order to get the best outcome? Now, again, we should preface that and say, well, I think in the environments that I'm working in mostly, which is business-related environments, I can't think of a scenario where that sort of thing should happen. So I genuine conversations should always be the the stock standard. But moments like that where you're in a you know trying to get a great outcome from a solving a a crime or whatever that is, solving some Russian secret, then maybe the disingenuine conversation is a step in the process to get a great outcome. In the end, it's still genuine because of the intent, the final goal. That's what we came to, wasn't it? It's right. It's right. And you have to be very careful about remembering not to misstep with that and to think that you've got some kind of conniving plan, really, because that's actually unfortunate, but that does actually happen still a lot in business. Yeah. So much comes to intent. That's Mm. such a strong word as well. Absolutely. person's intent really dictates so much. It does. Moving on to the next one, leaders create a feedback culture. Now, I remember you being very excited about your conversation with Lisa Malloy because of the fact that you were very much on the same page on areas such as HR and things of that nature. And a feedback culture to me is one that 
again, seems obvious, right? But how often do you actually have the opportunity to analyze the quality of those conversations if you don't actually have a, a culture that basically, because the feedback loop is, is, is a repetition. If you can share more on that. Yeah. It, again, I'll go back to sort of asking for help. Genuine conversations create a solid foundation for this next step about the feedback culture. Again, the other word that comes in being deliberate. So you can ask for help, you can have genuine conversations, but if you're not deliberate around asking for feedback, then you're not actually setting foundations for a feedback culture. So again, it may be that, hey, Mark, how am I going? Like when, I, when we're working together, what's one thing you really think works well for us? And on the flip side, if there was one thing you think that could, you know, I could do better in how we're working together, what would that be? So again, if I'm leading a team in an organizational type environment, it might be asking my team in one of the types of meetings that I'm having, say, hey, guys and girls, I just want to get some feedback about how I'm progressing. I'm really focused on continuing to improve as a leader and as a person. If there was one thing you'd like me to change, what would that be? I like to use the start, stop, keep method. And I learned that from, I can't remember who I learned that from many years ago, but what do you want me to start doing? What do you want me to stop doing? And what would you like me to keep doing? And that just creates a really basic framework already for people to have a bit of a think and, okay, this is, here's an area I'd really love you to start because that'll really enhance your ability to lead me. I'd love you to stop this because I find it bloody annoying and I don't think it helps your leadership capabilities. It's interesting because it, this also makes me think about a, a management questioning technique that I found very useful for many, many years, which was when you would catch someone doing something that would benefit from improvement is to not tell them what the answer was, not necessarily give a start, stop, keep and be specific, but ask them to do things differently and allow them the opportunity to come up with that answer for themselves. And often that would increase the level of ownership in that change. And the sustainability of that change is usually much higher. So it's another means to get the similar result and really holds back on, on that feedback loop that creates a culture. And I still remember when I started doing that with this particular team, how many of them were like, what's this guy doing? Why is he asking me to do things differently all the time and not tell me what that is? And I was very, again, open, genuine conversation to go back to that point and say, I'm doing that because I want you to own the outcomes. I want you to feel good about the outcomes and to be able to analyze it for yourself because I know they're smart people. So that's a, a way of creating another one of those feedback environments. Absolutely. I would say for me, I, I take that as yes, one of the outcomes of that process is the ability to provide feedback and to continuously improve through the, the back, you know, through giving that feedback. It's I, I straight away, my head goes to coaching. Okay, well, where, are, where do we need to get to? And these skill set this person or group of people may have, and you're sort of setting that bar a little bit forward into that challenge zone. So you're not giving them all the answers. You know that they'll get there, but you're challenging them to, to get there. And that process is a really process of coaching. And then off the back of that, that's where that feedback loop comes in. Like, what do you think you could have done better in regards to this? What could we have done differently next time? What really worked well this time that you're taking to the next time we do this? They're great questions. That's right. And acknowledging when there is an improvement, you know, really making 100%. sure, you know, that, that being thankful for, for their willingness to make the effort. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And that's, a, I guess, just to be really clear, not to harp too much, but on that feedback loop and why I like the start, stop, keep, because it covers all that. Like there's that appreciative 
type of feedback and there's that constructive type feedback in that simple process as well. So it's not pigeonholing feedback into that automatic thinking where people think, I want to give you some feedback. Oh shit, what have I done? (laughs) That sort of scenario because that's where the mind takes really because people seem to use feedback in that context a lot of the time. Yeah, unfortunately. You're absolutely right. So keeping it positive. Absolutely. Moving along here. So leaders focus on clarity over certainty. Well, no, leaders make time to observe culture. Oh. We've got to do uh, that one. You know what? You're right. I jumped one. Mm. Okay. So how about that? You realize if you jump one, the whole stairs just fall Uh, down completely. Oh my goodness. Well, that's a good example of making (laughs) sure you build You've missed the foundation. That's right. Carpenters sacked. Gone. Yeah. 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 yeah, you don't want to make that full power because no. it's one that falls back pretty quickly. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Miss that step, you're stuffed. Absolutely. So let's not miss this step. Leaders make time to observe culture. So that was, again, from another one of the in-house interviews with Matt Kelly. And as I called it, if you recall in our conversations, that was the sleeper. It was the one that- you called it. Yeah, because to me, I look at it as being one of those, you don't really realize that this is a- very powerful management technique, leadership technique that can be very, very powerful. And others are observing you observing. Maybe you can share how, how you came across that one with your conversation with Matt. It's got some roots in very much business improvement principles. They call it going to the Gemba, going to the place of work and linking it back to the first foundational piece of leaders lead themselves first. Well, the organization of yourself in order to put you in a position where you can go out and observe culture. And that culture might be related to feedback. Are you seeing people in your environment giving each other feedback through the course of the day? You know, something's working or not. Hey, well done. I really like when you did this. Or, hey, perhaps we could do it this different way next time because that's going to create a better outcome, speed, better product, whatever. Okay. Creating space around doing that is super important. So leaders being organized in order to get out and just observe and I think it was, again, Oscar Trimboli way back when, you know, the deep listening expert, great, great guy and fantastic friend of the show. Listen, ask questions. Listen, ask. Listen, ask. Well, what I would put in there is observe, ask, listen. Observe, ask, listen. Because you can garner so much, you can glean so much just by observing people in their environment, seeing what is happening? Is that working well? Are you seeing great interaction amongst certain teams? Are you seeing great cross-departmental interaction? It could be any, any of these things, but if you're seeing some good stuff there, great. How do you keep enhancing that? If you're seeing some stuff that's not quite where you'd want it to be, then how is that happening? How is that coming back and reflecting on myself as a leader? Maybe what am I doing or not doing that's having an impact on that? And that taking the time out to observe is so, so important. What happens most of the time? We all do it. We just get so busy being busy. We miss stuff. We don't take the time to reflect. We don't take the time to observe and see things. We just get caught in the busyness. And before you know it, the busyness is taking you away like crazy and all this stuff's been happening under your nose. You've just not created the space to see it. If you created the space and deliberate, again, about creating the space, so much opportunity to solve things so much more quickly before that proverbial crap hits the fan, so to speak. Yep. It's fascinating that 
that particular word is used that, and you used it the way that you did, because I think I've mentioned to you before in my years of training, one of the models that we worked with was pesos, prepare, explain, show, observe, supervise, right? It was built in. And therefore, we had to culturally have it part of our process. If we didn't take the time to observe, then we really wouldn't be able to go back to the drawing board and, and, and retrain where we had failed as trainers because we had to take responsibility for that. The learner isn't really the, usually the problem. It's usually the trainer that failed at understanding their learning style or something of that nature. And a lot of that came down to being able to observe. So it's a, it, it, it's a nice place to be able to utilize that in a very functionable way. Once again, so many of these things, simple, powerful, effective, yep. when done right and made space to do right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to get back on track this time, so not skipping ahead. Okay, good. All right. I'll keep you on track. Don't uh, worry. Please do. <laughs> so leaders focus on clarity over certainty. That came out of your conversation with Scott Farlow. And I was surprised by that interview because I was expecting a politician's conversation, and it's not what it ended up being. It was far more telling about the skill set that he brought as a political leader, but that also the challenge, the, the complexity, especially with the topic, because you were dealing with the topic of COVID at the time, and that, let's face it, the decisions that he was going to be making were not going to always be popular. In fact, they were more likely to be unpopular, yet he had to make the right decisions given the data he was given or that he had to work with. So you're picking that one out really stood out as being a great fit. I want to hear more about that from your point of view. Yeah, and look, Scott is a, a absolutely fantastic, fantastic guy. The focus on clarity over certainty, again, I've got to make sure I reference it well to Patrick Lencioni. You know, I stole his words there. It just, it rang true so much. He talks, I'm not sure if there is his exact words, but he speaks about clarity over certainty quite a lot. And in relation to COVID-19, I mean, it was exactly that information was flowing but you can imagine in government circles they're getting information from all sorts of part trying all sorts of areas trying to discern that into what may be valid what may be not what might be scare tactics whatever and then having the responsibility that you have in parliamentary type of roles for the community and you're making decisions with uncertainty but the clarity of having everyone on that same page about okay we've had a conversation around this. We've really got the information, as much information as we could gather in the time that we needed to make a decision. We're on the page. We just got to go with it. And some of the time that works out, some of the time it doesn't work out. But what I would say in relation to business, in relation to teams, that once again, in my experience, if you have a group of people who are absolutely clear, have a level of clarity about what our next step is, how are we going to move forward, what we're trying to achieve as an outcome, then they will walk over hell and high water to achieve the outcome that they've committed to. Even if they took some, you know, a bit of a windy path to get there, they will do. We are such resourceful. Human beings are so resourceful. They will get there and do that. So that certainty is that analysis paralysis. Like it, it leads to that, like, oh, we need more information. We can't make that decision yet because we need to know this. In the meantime, 10 other companies have created that product and taken on the market or whatever's happening in relation to your business, but you've been left behind pretty much. So it's more important to get clarity about what the next step is, either individually or as a team, get everyone on that page and move forward 
than being absolutely certain because what do they say? The only certainty in life is change. If that's the only certainty, then why are we trying to be so certain about everything else that we do? It just stops us from doing stuff. Clarity, that's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. Interestingly, I, I look at it also from the point of view of, you know, in the world of photography. You, you actually have to focus on the key topic, t- key subject. And if you're not sure as to what that is, what are you going to shoot? Anything? Not really, right? So there's, there's lots of places where the analogy can place very, very well. And sometimes having some kind of a visual for someone to see how that applies would, it can be particularly helpful. That's the way I look at it is I look at it from the, put my, my face to the lens and, I, you know, and, I, and I'm taking some shots. I, I'm working out of how can I isolate the topic or the subject. Mm, mm. So you sort of say, if, if I understand that, you're sort of saying that if you've got a bit of clarity around what the, the bigger picture is, what the story is or whatever that the client's engaging you to tell, then the certainty around what shots you got to take or what clips you got to do and stuff, well, that's, you, you could sit around and do all day trying to do that, but you just got to get clarity around that and then take the shots and then it starts to come together exactly. at the end in the post-production stuff. Exactly. Makes sense. Yep, yep. It's really like us sitting here today. We've got no idea what we're going to say. <laughs> we're just, we're clear about, well, we're going to produce yeah. an episode. We're just following the sheet as much as we can. <laughs> we'll, we'll just get you to piece it all together at the end that's of the right. day. <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. I feel like I'm in the perfect chair. I just come and talk rubbish and um, you go away and make it sound decent. Well, I wouldn't call it rubbish. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we should edit that out. We should, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we'll leave it in. Why not? All right. So moving along, leaders focus on high-value activities. That came out of your conversation with David Merriman Scott. And that one was an interesting one for me in the sense that knowing what David's about and how he helps people become better leaders. His focus is obviously on a much larger scale, a much grander scale, but being able to focus on high value activities is sometimes rather difficult to do because there's a lot of noise out there. But that was something that you picked up on that he was very good at, at doing and at, at helping others to do. Maybe you can share more about your thoughts on, on that. Yeah. And in, in relation to that episode specifically, what I really took away from David, and it's really why I'm person like that gets to the level he's at is that one of the high value activities for someone like him and his entrepreneurial journey was content, creating content, creating thought leading content, really thinking deeply about certain things and putting his own thoughts around that, but not just thinking about it, actually taking action to write stuff about it and share it with the world. And that just resonated with me so much about our own journey and what we're doing and the content creation piece and make sure that you're thinking about things critically and providing hopefully value to the audience around these things. So the high value activities in different businesses, different industry industries will be different. But what we really need to make sure as leaders is that are we doing things that really only we can do or should be doing for our role? Now, if you can put that lens on it initially, then there's probably a lot of things that a lot of business owners are doing, a lot of leaders are doing just through progression of the business. It's just happened that way. They started the business or whatever, rather than saying, well, hey, now I've got a team of people and one of the high value activities I should be focused on is how do I make this the best team that I can? How do I help upskill people in this group to know much more well, know as much as me or even better, much more about me. So they're running the business and my role is to make sure this team is working 
cohesively and I'm really pushing their buttons to get the best out of them. That's a high value activity. I would argue very strongly that all of these 10 points we're talking about today are high value activities that a leader should be focused on in their own leadership journey. And if they do that, as we said off camera, if we use this as a bunch of high value activities for a leader and their own personal development journey as a leader, then they're going to be going very, very well compared to most leaders out there. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I also, to go back to David's approach, is the fact that there aren't that many business books out there, like the New Rules of Marketing PR, that get new editions over and over again. Why? Because he's focusing on what are the new best activities to take because some activities you don't want to be doing again because you don't want to suffer from we've always done it that way. Yep. And this is one of the things that I think really where he stands out and doing it exceptionally well and his books speak to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because I think it was version eight, wasn't it? Something like that. We were talking about specifically. So yeah, I mean, and I think that's a great example of like, hey, if we, in the space that he's playing in, especially that marketing PR space, things are changing. There's technology that underpins a lot of that change as well. So if he sat there as an example thinking, well, I can't write about this yet because I know it's going to change in 12 months, he would never write a book. Exactly. He's just like, you know, this is how it is now. I'm going to get this out, boom, and I'm just going to create edition two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight as I need to. And some of those he said in the interview, I think he's written substantial amounts differently based on the technology and others he's just tweaked a little bit because he liked to do something or say something a little bit differently. It wasn't fundamentally that heaps had changed. He just tweaked a little bit more or saw things a little bit differently. Absolutely. Now, that was a particularly fun interview to watch because of the fact that it was a, a, a different spin on the normal kinds of leadership conversations that you'd had. So yeah, definitely. The next one over here we have is leaders choose accountability over popularity. Now, this is the second time that we have one idea over another out of your, which is also, I, I, wanna, I want you to maybe touch on that if you can, because it's that old thing of comparing ideas. But in this situation with Dan Cockrell, you know, he's a guy who's an amazing role with, that he's had with Disney, um, amazing responsibilities that came along with that. And I remember him sharing a lot of the, the challenges that he would be having to face with just simply by walking around. And then this is, you know, I think it ties back into the whole observing. He had to do a lot of that too. But choosing accountability over popularity also has a, a similar feel to the idea of clarity over certainty. So maybe you can share a bit more about how that's different and the same. Yeah, I can do. And once again, I've chosen or stolen similar words from a person I follow a lot, Patrick Lencioni. Because they were the words that just, and I know he speaks those words, those words just rung in my ear when I'm watching Dan speak and when I'm reflecting on the interview and when I'm starting to look at my takeaways. It's just so important. Popularity and leadership is like the Antichrist, really. Like if you're going into a leadership role and wanting to be popular, then you're going to fail. You're setting yourself up for fail, for failure. One of the things that rang through in Dan's interview, particularly, and, and is true all the time, is that. You may not be the most popular person as a leader if you're choosing accountability over popularity, but 100 out of 100 people respect you mostly after the fact. They may not have appreciated as much during, but after the fact, and they reflect on it and say, you know what, Mark was hard to work for. He was hard, but he was fair. And I performed really well under Mark because he kept me accountable to stuff. 
those that's a glowing endorsement from a leadership perspective. That's the feeling that you want to leave and that's what you want to achieve with people. So, and accountability doesn't just happen again. It's about being deliberate with this stuff, but you've got to be clear as a leader around what your expectations are. What do I expect, expect from Mark in this role? And then from there, having a conversation around those expectations. Let's align our thinking. Let's get some clarity around what this looks like in this role. So having that genuine conversation. And then from there, it's observation. Back to observing culture. Observe when you need to, to make sure the expectation is being met. And if they're not, then there's the feedback loop. One side of the feedback loop. Okay, hey, this is what we spoke about. This is what I'm observing. How do we, what's happening? How do we change this behavior? We need to move in this direction, not this direction. Or the observation is, hey, really appreciate what you've done. You're obviously very clear on the expectation of the role. We had that conversation. Well done. You're spot on. Keep doing what you're doing. Awesome. So it's, it's that loop again. And that's the accountability. Accountability is like this. People think it's black magic. Like it's, it's really, you know, not sure of the science and hard to get there. There's, it's talked about so much in leadership circles and it seems to be so elusive. But fundamentally, set expectations, have a conversation around it and observe that the expectations are being met. If you can do that and have the gen, genuine conversations around that, then you can't go too far wrong. The results are going to start to happen in a good way. The words that come to my mind that coined this very well is trust is earned, right? And you also can get to the point where that level of accountability is, is something that you recognize, not from necessarily the way in others see your results, but the way you feel about what the outcome and your clarity on your outcomes really is. You have to be able to have the guts to say that not everyone's going to like what I have to say. It's not going to make me the, the popular person in the group, but I will have earned their trust because I was able to point out blah, 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 whatever the problem might have been in a meeting or in a situation. Sort of one of the things we referred back to when we were going through the 75 to 80 odd takeaways in 2022. And one of those takeaways we had from one of the conversations was leaders make tough decisions. Yes. And we thought, okay, well, that actually tough decisions fit into genuine conversations, fit into accountability over popularity. It just, it underpins so much, which is why we didn't choose it on itself. But there are times where leaders need to make those tough decisions. They need to have the boldness to do those, to make those decisions and follow it through and to hold people accountable to it. That's right. It's the, the, the fact that leaders make tough decisions. The challenge behind that is that you may be seen as unpopular and do you have the guts to actually survive that? Yep, absolutely. Well, we're at the last one. We've actually covered nine already. Jeez, that's so, good. Yeah, maths is pretty good too, isn't it? Yeah, amazing. I can count to 10. <laughs> we haven't even put numbers next to it. I know, we didn't actually have to this time. <laughs> Leaders learn from their experiences. Now that goes back to literally, I think it was possibly the first interview of the year that you did with Taris. The, I think you're was, right. Yeah, it was actually. And at first it was probably not one that you would have picked up on, but to me it was, it was an obvious one and an unlikely obvious because of the reasons why he talked about that and what you actually picked up on, which was essentially the, the opposite of good behavior, 
But often that's where we learn the most, right? Is that we learn from whether it be our own failings or others. So maybe you can share why you picked that one. Yeah, Taris, again, another fantastic guest. So good to have a chat with him and just get his perspective on his experience at Google. And again, my role wasn't to judge or take sides and that. It was just to get some more information from Taris so we could share it with the world. And he had an experience at Google that wasn't pleasant for him. There was, fair to say, value misalignment, behavioral misalignment around what Google valued as an organization and what Taris thought about that. And eventually the, the two parted ways. Where I was probably less about Taris and that experience in regards to this. Yes, it came out through my thinking in gathering the takeaway, but in topping the tree of the, the nine points and making it the 10 is that all of these things we've spoken about have experiences attached to them. So then making some time back to leading yourself first, making some time for some reflection and how am I going with this or what can I improve upon? Well, those sort of questions come out of your experiences. This was a really good experience when I was able to do this. How could I continue to do that or make time for this? This didn't work out anywhere near as well as what I thought it was going to work out in my own head. What was different? How do I need to change that? They're all experiences that we're having as leaders each and every day, so many interactions. That's why I felt, and from the lens you were looking at some of this, this is where it came in and said, hey, how can you not have this topping the tree and bringing a feedback loop back? Hey, learning from those experiences, how does that have an impact on me? And then start the process again. So experiences drive so much. And a lot, a lot of the conversations we've had on the Culture of Leadership podcast has been unpacking people's experiences. And from those experiences, they've developed thought leading content, they've developed some frameworks, they've developed some methods, they've written some books. They've done also, they've, they speak keynote speaks to hundreds of thousands of people across the world globally, lots of opportunities like that all through experience. How could we leave it behind? Exactly. How could I leave it behind? The one, the, the place Thankfully where- Thankfully for you, you made me not leave it behind. Uh, well, and I'm glad I did because it, and that was the, where I, that one really stood out for me is it was out of the seven habits of highly effective people, habit number five, seek first, understand, then to, then to be understood. Yeah, that's all, you know, because what, what happens is that when you're actually doing that over and over again, of, of that's a habit, right? And that's how you learn that habit. You have to actually practice it. And that's how do you learn from your experiences? You have to do it because you can't really learn unless you do something at least sufficiently repeatedly so that you can, again, go back to watching or looking for patterns. And that's where the experience teaches is you then go, oh, if I do this, then that happens. Is that a good outcome? Do I want more of that or do I want less of that? Absolutely. Yeah. The other lens I went through with this, and you and I spoke about it the other day, is that with the people system, which is a system that I've developed through the consulting client work that I do, and all of these things, there's more, but all of these things fit somewhere already within the people system, which is fantastic. So it was a nice check and balance that the work I'm doing myself, the work I've created off the experiences I've had from client engagements and all of those from doing podcasts and talking to fantastic people, it all came into this package. So yeah, as I'm on this journey with you supporting this whole process of helping to create confident leaders and the people system is, a, is the how to create confident leaders, it was a nice check and balance to say, you know what, I, I feel we're on a good path and we're able to help create those confident leaders through some of this information we're sharing. Absolutely. 
And the beauty about this is I would actually encourage listeners to not just listen to this podcast in its entirety, but to keep it on their short list. You know, maybe grab a link and pop it into your to-do or task list and review it. Maybe possibly one or two of these every month so that you can see how you're progressing on them. Because that would be, that's a good way to check to see, am I actually practicing these leadership activities? Am I actually sticking to that model? Which as you're developing the people model, you'll, people will pick up a lot more about how that fits in. But really being able to go back and revisit this and see how, how you're going, how you're going with that. You can somewhat, to some degree, not that people should self-coach, but there's an element of you can self-coach yourself a little wee bit, a little wee bit more if you have a good guidepost to, to measure yourself against. And this is a really simple, easy set of top 10 ideas that we've been able to gather from wonderful interviews of a year's worth of great conversations, great exactly. genuine conversations. Exactly. It's like we spoke about earlier, it's timeless to me. Mm-hmm. This list of 10 is timeless. If you use this as a, a foundation for your own leadership journey, whether we're part of that or not, that's not that relevant. It's more, here's some information that you think resonates with you. We're certainly going to be creating a lot more content around these 10 and getting it out into the world through blogs, through some other videos, through various potential infographics or whatever, but things that are going to be able to help people refer back to this stuff and get on a journey. And we see this as this might be the next 12-month journey for somebody to take in 2023 that underpins their own development as a leader and creating a more confident leader in themselves. So they're being more proactive, less reactive, and moving on a journey that they're more comfortable with and they're understanding leadership the way they want to understand leadership and it resonates with them. I would challenge people to say, don't deliberate on this list, be deliberate about this list. And don't be certain. Just have clarity. You've <laughs> got the clarity. We could every one of these, couldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> we could. We, we could. could. Whether people are going to listen to us play with oh, them all, I'm not too no. sure. I think yeah, uh, we have to edit somewhere. <laughs> but that's that's the 10. That's the 10. As you said, great conversation we've had. They've really helped spark different thoughts around these things. You've helped create into some sort of foundational framework a little bit i referred to a little bit like maslow's hierarchy of needs from a leadership perspective in that leadership ladder the leadership staircase if people choose to follow these things because they believe it's going to help them on their leadership journey then i'm very very confident they won't be disappointed thanks for listening to the culture of leadership you can access the show notes at theculture If you enjoy the show, please follow, rate, and give a review on your favorite podcast platform.